Did any of you not get a biblical timeline when you came in? Anybody just quick show of hands if you didn't get one of these. Okay, Let's, we've got a, a cluster right in here. Keep your hands up so they'll, they'll roll them out to you real fast here on things. Uh, just even by way of introduction, uh, this does not count against my time. I just want you to, uh, to know on that. I'm a little sensitive about that. But while we're getting this situated, keep your hands up because they're coming down and, and getting them your way. You know, we've, uh, we have wanted to uh, get you a timeline from the very beginning related to the study of this book, but all of them that we've seen have had, you know, maybe a thing or two or three that isn't quite right and, and probably would be more confusing than helpful over here. Uh, as to also. Um, so this one, wow, there's the home run. And I mean, maybe more than you want to know. But I, this is the kind of uh, thing, this resource, that uh, you'll keep in your Bible and really give you clarity even when you're in Ezekiel and in Daniel and, and Zechariah and other prophetic sections of the Scripture. So very, very uh, valuable. I'm going to restart my stopwatch here. Let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 13 tonight. Chapters uh, 12 and 13 are uh, continued to be a part of what is known as a, a parenthetical uh, section of the book of Revelation that started in, in chapter 10. And chapters 12 and 13 are really kind of a unit where God is uh, wanting us outside of the progression of the, the, um, you know, the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments. He wants us to know some, some other things that are going on in the midst of all of this and uh, outside of kind of the sequence of events. And uh, so he introduces us to seven different personages in these two chapters that are important for us to understand uh, concerning the last days. And in chapter 12, we looked at five of those personages, Israel, uh, Satan, uh, Christ the Messiah, Jesus, uh, Michael the archangel, and then the remnant of of uh, Israel. And then tonight in chapter 13, we're introduced to the final two uh, uh, personages of this uh, seven when we're introduced to the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's very helpful to understand concerning the Antichrist and the false prophet, their relationship to the devil. And uh, the devil's already been introduced. The devil is a counterfeiter. Uh, he, is, he is not very, very original, but apparently he doesn't need to be terribly original to uh, fool the world. But he's a tremendous counterfeiter. And uh, even as there is uh, a triunity within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, this Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet constitute an, an unholy trinity or triunity. So even as, as uh, in, in that unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, uh, Satan would represent kind of the upper position that the Father takes in, in the Holy Trinity, the Antichrist, the, the second position, and then the false prophet, the third position that would represent the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about the Antichrist 
in the scriptures. He's known principally as the beast. I will call him the Antichrist tonight uh, principally because that's the term that we uh, know him by. But he's referred to as the Antichrist in uh, John's epistles. But in the book of Revelation, he's, he's principally called the beast. But um, So there's the Antichrist, but there is a second demonic personage that's involved. The Antichrist is a political leader. He will come in and he will take over the um, political and the economic machinery of the world. That's what he will focus on. That's, that's what he will be like uh, the mantle for that. That's, that's what people will associate with him. But he has this kind of henchman that's with him that is empowered just like he is by the devil who then takes and leads the world into the worship of the Antichrist. And so he's kind of like the Holy Spirit uh, in a negative sense trying to, is the Holy Spirit tries to point people to Jesus. This false prophet is pointing people to the Antichrist and he establishes this false religious system. So by the time this whole thing gets said and done during the great tribulation period between the devil the antichrist and the false prophet they are going to completely dominate the economic uh, systems the political systems of the world and the religious systems of the world they will take everything over and their methodology is interesting we'll look a little bit at it uh, perhaps tonight if we get that far and uh, very much at it when we get into chapters 16 and 17 uh, of of the book of of revelation so here we pick it up now in verse 1 then john said i stood on the sand of the sea and i saw a beast rising up out of the sea and the beast refers to the antichrist the sea that's referred to here i i don't believe is is a literal uh, sea, but rather speaking of the nations of the world, and we talk about uh, the sea of humanity and this this kind of thing. That's the idea that is being uh, used here. We'll see later in chapter 17, verse 15, that the sea does represent uh, humanity in that place, and I think it does here. Uh, chapter 17, verse 15, and he said to me, "The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, uh, are peoples, multitudes, nations." in tongues. So this tells us that the Antichrist is going to be a human being. He will not be the devil. The devil is the devil. But uh, he, he will be a human being. He will rise up out uh, into a place of prominence uh, as, as a man and, and he'll rise up out of this sea of humanity. He will distinguish himself and, and take on this mantle of, of, of the Antichrist. It is very, very interesting to me as I, you know, read the newspaper and kind of watch it, what's going on in the world today and, and seeing so much happening to realize that uh, it is very, very likely that he is uh, uh, already uh, in the world, already involved and in, in strategically placed uh, in the world in, in order to then one day take this position. I don't know. Uh, maybe you know, but I don't know in my understanding of the Scripture whether he knows that he is the Antichrist. 
uh, until he kind of gets to that place. He may just be, you know, an up-and-comer kind of person and, and uh, just trying to do his thing like everybody else, you know, and uh, maybe they'll have a show, you know, the uh, Antichrist, and he'll win it or something. I don't know before this is all set. I mean, reality TV, come on, where's it go next? But... Um, <laughs> Not that I'm tapped into it, uh, please understand. But uh, so the pop culture's nutty, and uh, more than nutty, worse than nutty. It's demonic in some, in, in a lot of ways. But but here, so there. But there comes a point where he's just a regular guy, and and all, and uh, and then the Antichrist, uh, uh, then he is ultimately possessed by the devil, as we'll see in a moment. Then to gain his uh, power. So there's a description of him that's given. Uh, he rises up out of the sea. He's having seven horns. And uh, or seven heads rather and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his uh, uh, on his heads a blasphemous name so he has a name and it's not Damien I never saw the movies but I found out quickly that whatever those movies were about the Antichrist they named him Damien apparently my name is D-A-M-I-A-N. There's a big difference. It's not I-E-N or I-O-N or, uh, you know, with Herman Hesse's books either and all of that uh, stuff. But the, um, but it, so uh, it was very, very funny downtown when we were, you know, at the old uh, location and stuff. And people, when this whole thing was going on, uh, people would invite their family and friends, you know, to come in and come to the church and everything. And then they'd introduce me. Uh, them to me at the back door. And this is Pastor Damien. And I'm telling you, uh, probably half a dozen times, the eyes got like this big. You're going to a church where the senior pastor is named Damien. Have you ever shaved his head to make sure there isn't a 666 on there or something, you know? So, but, but when we look at this thing with the seven heads, the ten horns, and, and on his uh, horns, the ten crowns. It's very, very similar to the description that's given of the devil in chapter 12, verse 3. So, uh, and the reason it's very similar to the description is that this man is going to be the devil's representative uh, in the world. And so he's going to be possessed by the devil. He's going to possess supernatural wisdom of the devil to deceive the whole uh, world as it talks about those uh, seven heads that he has. Like the devil, he has ten horns and uh, same description is given of the devil in, in Daniel chapter 7. Seven, uh, specifically verses 7 and 8 and verse 24, we learn that the ten horns speak of ten kings who will make up a world-ruling empire out of the old Roman Empire from, from Europe in the last days, and they will turn over their power to the devil in the form of the Antichrist, who will then rule and dominate uh, the world uh, uh, during the Great Tribulation. So if you ever see like a, a major... Uh, world military and economic power uh, rising anywhere in the, the realm of Europe. Uh, watch out for that. And especially if they have like a coin that has a woman riding on a beast. 
Why would you put that on your euro coin? It, it, it comes right out of Revelation chapter 17. It's so weird on that. But if you, if you see that and you see him struggling... I mean, if you see any nation looking, having troubles getting their uh, laws situated and changed in order that they could become a major economic power in the world because people want it to be a socialist nation and all of those things, and you look and you say, you know, the only thing that keeps them from dominating the whole world is some supernatural person who is able to pull it all together. If you ever see that... Uh, look up your redemption draws nigh so the these kings will turn over their power to uh, the antichrist imagine i mean imagine if this doesn't make you want to be raptured prior to the great tribulation then i don't know what will imagine following the rapture of the church which i think will greatly disable the united states and it isn't that so many people may end up going, but I think strategic people, I think key people, I think key people in the military uh, will be lost. And, and I think a, uh, a resolve to fight will be lost for what is right and wrong even in this country. What do you, what do, you do? I mean, you look at where our country is now and, uh, and this idea where history is being rewritten that the strength of our nation is the free enterprise system. That is not what made our country great. What made our country great is that we believed in God. We were founded upon the, the uh, writings of the Scriptures, never been perfect. No nation is a perfect nation. But endeavoring to love God and love our neighbors, ourselves, and do the best th that we can and all. And that's something worth fighting for. That's something worth defending yourself for as a nation and, and trying to help, uh, you know, undo injustice in the world when we're invited to do that through the history of the United States. But if this thing ever becomes that the greatest thing and the only unifying thing in the United States is the fact that you can make more money here than you can anywhere else in the world, who's going to fight for that? How are you going to get anybody to enlist in the army to fight for something so shallow or so pathetic as that? So you take, you take the church out of the United States. I do think even in the, you know, the apostasy that's happening within the nation that it will uh, uh, affect us. And uh, then imagine taking all of the wealth, all of the wealth of Europe... That entire economic machine, the potential that is there, you take all of their money, you take the entirety of all of their combined uh, militaries and hand that over to the devil to use during the Great Tribulation, you won't want to be here. Uh, one of the things that I do uh, recreationally in, in my reading is I like to read about World War II. And principally because you've got the ver just the very worst going on possible in, in humanity and the very best happening at the same time. It's a it's fascinating thing, at least for me, to read. But you think about how much of the world had to unite together just to defeat Germany in World War II, just to defeat them. You take that entire section of the world, its wealth, its military, its everything, and hand it over to the Antichrist, and it's going to be scary. 
And it's funny, you know, man is so smart, he thinks, apart from God, that this is what he's ultimately going to do. He is so afraid in the Western world for, to worship God or that God would be, you know, the head of these countries or that we would speak about God and worshiping God. And they are so smart, and we're not far behind them in this so-called smartness in the United States. But one day they will turn it over to the Antichrist. And, and that, that's the craziness that happens when, when you, you walk away, you know, from the Lord and, and walk away from what's doing, what is right to do in the eyes of the Lord. Notice also that on his horns he has ten crowns. And again, this is from Daniel chapter 2. And we know uh, that the final world ruling empire will again be these uh, ten uh, kings or ten nations that will uh, come together and, and uh, turn their power over to the Antichrist. Now notice that the beast is also uh, likened in verse 2 uh, to a leopard. Uh, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And uh, this imagery, as we continue to look for the Old Testament to help us in understanding the book of Revelation, all of this imagery comes from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, these animals represent three world-ruling uh, empires from history. The leopard uh, represents Greece. And then the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire, and the lion represents the Babylonian Empire. And the point that's being made concerning the Antichrist here is that the Antichrist will be a political leader at the head of a world-ruling, a world-dominating Empire. That's what he is, he is going to do. Now notice the dragon, that speaks of the devil, gave him, the beast, his power, his throne, and great authority. The devil gives him this power. This fellow is going to come on the scene, and, he, and, and all of his power, all of his abilities, all of his kind of talent and, and, and uh, powers of persuasion and all are going to be demonic. They'll be supernatural, but on the dark side of things, on the evil uh, side of things. He'll be possessed by the devil himself. Now, there is demon possession that occurs all over the world, but demons are fallen angels, and uh, Satan is the top of the fallen angels and uh, this antichrist will be possessed by the devil himself and so he's going to be pure pure uh, 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 evil but um, though he'll be evil for the whole seven years of the great tribulation uh, he'll be seductively evil in the first three and a half years he will look like the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world I mean, I think that's one of the things that will happen when the church is raptured out and you think, man, won't that make the headlines for about three and a half years? I think the second day they'll move on to probably their next story in, uh, in the media, maybe not that quickly. This guy's going to come on the scene and be so demonically charismatic that he's just going to capture the attention of of the whole world and and uh, uh, and and sound good and look good for three and a half years and then his true colors I mean the beast that he is will will really come out now notice that 
he suffers a, a deadly, life-threatening uh, head wound uh, that, is, that is healed, and, and he survives it. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Now, it's not injured. It's not injured. Uh, injury is something where he was cleaning the leaves out of the gutter and he fell and hit the uh, pavement. That's an injury. He's wounded. Somebody, some, when you're wounded, somebody wounds you. So this, there's been an attempt made against him to harm him. Uh, and so he saw, uh, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. So the Greek here that speaks of this mortally wounded uh, indicates that if he did not die, and I don't know whether, nobody knows specifically whether he dies and he's kind of resurrected or he's right at the edge of dying and then, and then recovers from uh, this uh, incident. But uh, so he is, he is wounded and wounded as a result of, of being stricken. It appears to be an assassination attempt. So when he's trying to take power, consolidate power, take over the world, not everybody is happy about it. And uh, so somebody attempts to take him out. A little bit later in, in, uh, in this chapter, in verse 14, we're told that the wounding was by the sword which speaks of a weapon. Somebody came against him with uh, a weapon in an ass assassination attempt. And then uh, in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, we seem to get even further insight into all of it. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16 and 17 for you note takers. For indeed I will write, raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that stands, uh, still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. And so there are many that believe that in that assassination attempt, he loses the use of his right arm and also of his, his right eye. Notice... As a result of this healing that is going to be viewed as miraculous uh, by the world, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshiped the dragon, that is the devil, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? Now this helps us out actually in understanding how the Antichrist gains control of the whole world. Now, we know that he is given control by these ten kings or ten nations or areas within Europe. That's turned over to him. So he's going to have absolute control of Europe, but we know that he's going to dominate the whole world. So how in the world does that happen without some kind of a, uh, you know, a military attack upon the west or the east or the north or the south to consolidate his power? How does he end up ruling the whole world but not needing to go to war to do it? It appears that when this event happens in his life, and uh, it looks like he's died or he's almost died. Everyone in the whole world recognizes that him surviving this is a miracle. And they realize, what's the use in fighting this guy? Uh, everything he's saying sounds great anyway. Let's just get on board. 
And that, that seems to be what happens. Now, that support begins to unravel on him late in the tribulation period. But th that's it, to me, is how he gains the worldwide uh, uh, support that, that he has. And, and so they ask the question, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? Well, I'll tell you who is able to make war with them and whoop them. And uh, that's, that's Jesus, but that answer is coming in chapter 19. I don't want to give everything away related to that. But there is an answer to the question. But once you've thrown God out of the whole deal and you don't want to believe in God and all this kind of stuff, now you know, you've set yourself up to be to be seduced and and so uh he, he, he the antichrist now gains i mean unparalleled uh popularity and he was given we're told in verse five he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months so this is speaking now of the last uh, three and a half years of the great tribulation the first three and a half years he sounded like mr. nice guy and all of this when when this all of this happens and he gains the power of the world now uh, he doesn't have to hide what he's really about anymore and now his true colors uh, come out and then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme God's name his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven and so he begins to boast and he begins to blaspheme boast in himself blaspheme against god one of the interesting things about the antichrist where we see we're given insight to him in the revelation and then also in the book of daniel is he's quite a talker he's uh, he's a trash talker on a on a whole nother level than uh, the nba playoffs uh, so, but, but he, so he knows how to talk trash, and he talks a lot, and, you, and there's always talking about his mouth. He's got his mouth open, and he uses his mouth to blaspheme God, the things of God, the people of God. I'm very, I, I don't want the Antichrist or anyone that has anything to do with him to have anything good to say about me. Blaspheme away. Uh, you know, we're, we'll, we'll, I, We'll wear that as a badge of honor in, in the body of Christ. But the interesting thing is he blasphemes God. He uh, blasphemes heaven. He blasphemes uh, God's people. I think there's a place for him in public education, candidly, uh, on, on things. He may be a union head with the NEA. Uh, God bless you, those of you who work in public education and uh, as, as a light. But we're not that far away. The whole world laps this up. There's no rebellion against it. They love what he is saying. And you take the church out of this world, and they're, they're, you're going to have a whole bunch of people that love to hear someone stand up and tell God, you know, like it is and all of this, and, and uh, they're going to love the message, and they're going to love uh, the messenger and they're going to pay a terrible price uh, for for doing it so he continues this for the three and a three and a half years and then it was granted verse 7 uh, to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority was given him over every tribe tongue and nation so notice that at this point in the great tribulation in the tribulation period uh, probably the three and a half year mark of the tribulation the halfway point notice that he's given authority uh, to just start killing Christians 
He can't do it ahead of that, that time. He is, he is very, very powerful, the Antichrist is, as is the devil, but they are nothing like God. God is infinite. These folks are created beings. We are created beings. And there is an infinite gap between those two personages. There is God and there is everything else. And God is not in any danger in terms of what this guy is about or what he's trying uh, to pull off. So at this point, he's given authority then to make war with the saints. This is talking about tribulation saints. It's talking about those that did not know the Lord and, and, uh, prior to the tribulation. The church is raptured prior to the tribulation, but a lot of people are going to come to know the Lord during that time. They're going to say, remember that little handout they gave to me there about the whole thing and said, if I'm ever out of here, you know, don't believe the headlines or CNN, but look at this little brochure and it'll tell you what's coming your way and give your heart to Jesus and here's a little spiritual law track and that kind of thing. And people are going to come to know the Lord during that time. The gospel is going to be preached uh, during the great tribulation. And so they are, though, going to lose their lives by making a stand and staying faithful uh, to the Lord. Authority is given to him, we're told, over every tribe, every tongue, and over uh, every nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life uh, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Anyone that doesn't know the Lord uh, is, is going to gladly, at this point in time, uh, get on the bandwagon with him and uh, start uh, to worship him. And so at this point, that one world government and uh, that the world is, you know, looking to and all of these things as the solution to the world's problems and ecological problems and, you know, financial and poverty and all of these things. But it won't be achieved under God. Interesting. It'll be achieved under the Antichrist. And, and the nightmare uh, just... Uh, is, is beginning. And then notice in verse um, 9, as John is writing this by the Spirit of God, he says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. That's interesting. Because we heard that phrase seven times, didn't we, when we were going through the seven churches of Revelation? But it was a little different. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. But he doesn't say that here, he doesn't mention the churches. Again, an evidence of the church being removed at this point in time. But he's warning those that are here, listen to what he's saying about what it is that, that is, is, is happening in, in, in all of this. If you're sitting here tonight and you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, you need to do that. Because only he can save you from the deception that is already on this world right now and a greater deception that is coming that is going to be so crafty and so uh, pitch black dark spiritually in, in this world. And he's the only one that can save you from what's coming and uh, in order that you don't have to go through the great tribulation or come to know him during the tribulation and have to give your life then as a, as a martyr for your faith in, in him. So he's just saying, you know, all right, we're going along sometimes. Oh, uh-huh, okay. End times, that's into Oh, mm -hmm, Antichrist. Ah, false prophet. And then he's got to stop here and say, wake up, this is real. 
This is coming to a world near you. And take it seriously and make the right decisions in the light of this truth. This is history in advance. This is coming to this world. Every single word, every single line is going to be written into the history of this world. And I need to be on the right side of things as, as it continues to unfold. And then he, uh, John said, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And so John is encouraging the uh, tribulation saints who are martyred for their faith, uh, encouraging them with the knowledge that those that have, have taken and put Christians into captivity and then killed them with the sword, there is a captivity and there is a death coming in the future for them. They are going to reap what it is that they have sown. And, and there is something that is very, very comforting, and God knows it, related to the laws of the land, supposed to be in a nation. There's something wonderful about as hard as being a victim of crime or a, a victim of violence or whatever it is, but to know, if I have been a victim of that, that that is going to be dealt with righteously. They are going to pay for what it is that they have done that makes, you know, the knowledge of what I've gone through, it, it makes it a little bit easier uh, for me. And so he said, this is what it will encourage their patience. This is what will encourage the faith of the saints as their head is being chopped off or whatever means of killing Christians are at, at that time, that God is watching it and he's going to judge them for what it is that they are doing. Then he moves on to this seventh personage in verse 11. And he said, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And, uh, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And so here is the uh, kind of the religious uh, false prophet. He's, he's called the false prophet in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence and uh, deceived many, and, and they're going to be cast into an eternal lake of fire. So he's a false prophet, and he's the religious part of this this triunity. You notice that he has two horns like a lamb, so he looks like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. So he's just like the Antichrist, and he's just like the devil. Gives one appearance, but what he is on the inside and what he says, two entirely different things. So he looks like a nice little lamb for the first three and a half years of the great tribulation or the tribulation period and the last three and a half years he is revealed for what he is and that is he speaks like a dragon ne we're never never judge on the basis of what a person looks like on the outside what are they saying what are they saying about God what are they saying about Jesus what are they saying about salvation? What are they saying about heaven? What are they saying about hell? And I don't care how eloquent a person is. I don't care how many robes that they wear. I don't care how fancy the religious building is. If they look like one thing and what they're saying is all wrong biblically about that, something is wrong there. 
We listen to what people say, and we judge it by the Word of God like the Bereans did. They took the teaching of the Apostle Paul, and they received the Word of God with readiness of mind, we're told, but then they searched the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. Don't be afraid to make a stand in this hour, even as a Christian, and to be able to say about false teaching, that is false teaching. That is wrong. There is no place for that. I read something, and it's so... I'm just thinking about it because it can be apples and oranges and it can confuse. Well, let me finish here. It's not easy being me. So, so we're, we're, just get, we're just getting too lax in the body of Christ. We're overlooking too much. And I want to be as gracious as I can be. I want to be as gentle as I can be. I want to be as nice as I can be. I want to embrace as much as I can embrace. I don't want everybody to be like me. I don't want every church to be like this church. I, I think in walking with the Lord since 1980 that I've grown at least a little bit in, in understanding that. But wow, the things that have become negotiable today in a lot of circles and more and, and more and more that were non-negotiable and should be non-negotiable today it, it just shouldn't be and you're gonna have to make a stand individually and and I am too in this world and to listen and listen and all these things and say you know that 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 uh, it, it, that that's false what it is that's being said there and I'm gonna disregard it Let me just work through this one thing that just popped into my mind. It's always dangerous. Okay, now, I have just finished talking about what I've just finished talking about. Okay, so we're making a hard 90 out of it. I was watching a a reading, uh, an interview related to a Christian leader who I respect so so much and he was talking about Katrina and as he was talking about Katrina the question about you know why and all of these things and why are these disasters and and stuff like that and he said you know we don't know why and I don't think we can know why and I just think to myself we do know why The first three chapters of the book of Genesis has not disappeared from the Bible. Man was created by God in the image of God. He fell in the Garden of Eden and everything that we live in the middle of out there in this world is a result of that fall. And, and I think sometimes as Christians right now, we are so afraid, and I see it on these t- TV interviews and all these different things, we're so afraid of looking like we have the answers. We have the answers in the Bible. We have the answers, and we live in a world that's looking for answers. There doesn't need to be this false humility that we aren't smarter than you. We don't know any more than you. We may not be smarter than other people, but we know more than other people that don't know the Bible. And we need to be able to answer these things. Don't, let's not fall into this false humility. Somebody stood up and gave us the truth so that we could get saved and have answers for our questions. Let's, not be, let's do it with the right spirit. 
But let's not be afraid to say, you know, we do know the answer. And here's the answer to that. And then give that answer. There's a world waiting to hear that answer. They have a right to hear it. So, anyway. So here he is. He exercises all of the authority of the first beast in the presence of of the first beast, which is the Antichrist. So he is empowered uh, by uh, the devil uh, himself also. This is where his power comes. And notice that he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So under his influence... Uh, the whole world is going to worship the Antichrist following this healing of this, this mortal uh, wound. And then uh, notice that he takes and performs great signs so that even fire comes down from heaven on the earth in the sight of them. So he's able to do great miracles, and with these miracles, he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So he calls fire down from heaven, and if you can fall fire down from heaven, it must mean that you've got some power in heaven, you know, the whole deception that's going on. And because he's a miracle worker, the world is going to be believe in him and, 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 and trust in the Antichrist. God is not the only one who does the supernatural in this world. The devil is able to do the supernatural and uh, did it through uh, Pharaoh's uh, magicians and all of these. He, he is able to do this, this kind of thing. So never look at a miracle and say, wow, that was a miracle. That must be God. We always look at a miracle and then ask ourselves the, the question, who does this miracle draw me to worship? Who gets the glory for this miracle? And if it isn't God and it draws me away from God or to a person or to false doctrine, then that miracle didn't come uh, from, uh, from the Lord. Jesus warned about that the coming deception of the world by the Antichrist and the false prophet and the devil on the basis of miracles. He said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Jesus speaking of what it is that's coming. Paul spoke of it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he said, The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will give them, send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now notice that uh, in verse 14, he, he takes and does these miracles and then tells those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So they make this image of the Antichrist following this assassination attempt. And then he was granted power, this false prophet, to give breath or life to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as who would not 
as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So he influences the world to make an image uh, of the Antichrist. Um, it, I would guess that he is, sets this image of the Antichrist up uh, in the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem uh, following the abomination that causes desolation. The Antichrist probably rules somewhere in Europe politically, economically. He's not going to hang around Jerusalem, but the false prophet will probably uh, be involved in Jerusalem. And, and whatever this image is, it'll, it'll probably be set up there in Jerusalem. Notice in verse 15, this isn't uh, any old ordinary uh, image. Uh, he grants power to give breath to the image, and uh, the image speaks and, and, uh, and all. John, of course, was very, very familiar with images and idols. Uh, John, when he writes this, he's in the middle of the Roman Empire. I mean, he could go into any city anywhere he went, and there's idols, is many more than you could count in all directions. He's very, very familiar with idolatry and familiar with, with images carved out of stone and carved out of wood and all of that. He's used to that. But here he sees an image or an idol that's alive. Now that's freaky. It's alive. <laughs> Woo! Now, you know, it's weird to me to think about that. I'm just going to lay all my weirdness on you here tonight. I'm thinking, you know, this gets really weird to me in the light of the cloning thing that's happening. And the ability to take maybe, clone the Antichrist, and the real deal is over here doing what he's doing in Europe and maybe even in Rome. And then over here in, in Jerusalem and all, maybe this cloned kind of image of the Antichrist is set up there in, in, uh, in the Holy of Holies. We don't know, but somehow there's going to be an image that is associated with the Antichrist, and it's going to walk and talk, and it's, got, it's going to have uh, some kind of semblance of, of life, if not life uh, it, itself. It's interesting that... You know, before the whole cloning deal came on the scene, you know, with Molly or Dolly or whatever uh, the sheep's name was a, a few years ago. You know, ten years ago when you'd teach the book of Revelation, uh, the illustration you'd have to use for this would be uh, the best illustration that, you know, a preacher could come up with would be Mr. Lincoln in uh, Disneyland. So, you know, you ever been in the Mr. Lincoln thing there at Disneyland, how he stands up and four score and... You know, and the whole thing is there will be something, you know, maybe it's robotics or some kind of a deal, but it gives life. It's a living thing. And then all you have to do is just live long enough, and this thing just keeps unfolding in, in, uh, in looking at it and saying, there's a lot of ways these things can happen uh, e uh, even today. It's all developing right before our, our very eyes. And if a person will not worship the Antichrist, then it, it ends in death. They're just uh, simply killed uh, for that uh, because it reveals them uh, most likely to be a Christian at that time. And then verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So nobody gets around this. doesn't matter how powerful or rich or poor or any of that. Everybody at this point in the Great Tribulation has to take uh, a mark uh, on their right hand or on their forehead. So apparently there's a choice. 
uh, or maybe there's a first thing and then if you know you don't have a right hand then on your forehead or something but but one of those two places and and here's what it's given for it's given for the the it, it's given in order to control the whole world but what better way to control the whole world than to um, control food control clothing, control shelter, that nobody can buy or sell anything without this mark. And, and so that's what verse 17 says, without this mark of the beast, that no one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Uh, six. So he's going to uh, cause this. Nobody can buy or sell without this mark of the beast. He's going to establish a one world uh, economic system. And uh, this whole thing with the mark is, is going to be a personal identification. It's, it, it will be what allows you to engage in commerce in, in, in the world. So it's, he's going to force the, the population of the world uh, to follow the Antichrist or not. There is, there is no in-between uh, related to this. And he's going to use economic pressure to do it. And basically he's going to establish a, a cashless society. There'll be no more credit cards. Uh, there'll be no more, um, you know, money, no more any of these kinds of things. It'll all just happen off of the mark that's on the right hand or on the forehead. What's really fascinating about all of this is um, the technologies that have developed just in the last handful of years related uh, to, to all of this. You look at the Verichip uh, development and, and I mean, you know, it used to be, you know, again, 10 years ago when, when I'm teaching this or something, you know, they're looking, okay, now you got the credit card and it's got the magnetic strip that's holding information and then on the front of it is like this hologram or whatever it's called or every, and, and you're looking at these little shadows of where this thing might be going, you know, but, but, the, but the final technology isn't in, in place. And now they've got these radio frequency identification chips. It's the size of, uh, of a piece of, of uh, white rice. They just, put it, they just inject it right with a syringe right underneath the skin, anywhere on the body, and it has all the information that they want to have loaded up in it. They've been doing it with animals for years now, but now in the last couple of years, you have uh, people who are um, taking this particular kind of chip and putting it on their body. There's a, uh, there's a bar in uh, Spain, and then I think there's also a bar in England somewhere. And uh, you, if you frequent that bar all the time, just so you don't have to be pulling out money all the time or credit cards or any of that kind of thing, you can just come in, they'll put a chip in you. And uh, you just run that by the scanner, and, and they keep, it keeps tab of, of your tag, uh, tab for you. I think some of the higher officials, I think it's in the Mexican government now, in order to kind of get people used to this idea and all. One particular section of that government, that upper echelon, they've all taken this, this particular chip. 
and, and using it. A lot of the people that are in the technology uh, uh, area, especially those that want to make money off of all of this, they take this chip and, and all, they use it and as a means of identification, walk up to their house, they got the little sensor, they roll their hand by it or their arm and the door opens and they roll it by the computer and it all comes on without having to memorize a password. And, uh, and I mean, are we about numbered to death? How many numbers can you remember? I'm afraid to go on vacation because I'll come back and forget one of the combinations or whatever to how to get in my house or in this, you know, I mean, how many numbers can you have? And this thing is, is something that you just use and it allows you to, to get away uh, from all of that stuff. And so um, that's what's going. Interesting, here's an article, uh, January uh, 6th of 2000. And six, talking about this uh, whole, uh, you know, uh, RFID implants. And uh, they're talking about the computer chip only costs about $2. And, uh, and then it can interact with any kind of device that's installed in the computers or other electronics and, and, and that kind of stuff. Now, this stuff is not the mark of the beast, please. Uh, recognize uh, that it isn't the mark of the beast but what it tells us is is that the technology is here like it's never been here before I mean you don't even have, I, there's so many articles in the paper you don't have to be even as a pastor dig all over the place to find something that looks like whatever it's just all all going on but but so if someone takes a Vera chip and they, and they have it put in their body, I'm not recommending it, but, I mean, if they do, it isn't, it isn't the mark of the beast. Uh, when a person takes the mark of the beast during the Great Tribulation, they will know what they're doing. There will be an angel, we're told in a couple of chapters, that will go throughout the entire earth and warn against taking the mark of the beast. When a person takes the mark of the beast during the Great Tribulation, it will be a purposeful, eternal identification with the Antichrist. I worship him. I want to worship him. I will never repent of this, this particular position. And they type the mark of the beast. So... You know, if you're leaving Disneyland or whatever, and, uh, you, and, you know, and you're concerned that if you give them the right hand and they stamp you that, oh my, you know, or some kind of, or that you're in the dental office and they do say, How, when they put me out, did they put a, a you know, kind of a, no, no, it's none of that stuff. Uh, no conspiracy, uh, you know, theories related to that. All this tells us is the technology is here. The technology is, is in place. And, and so uh, that's what's going on. Here's, here's where you get, I mean, you can go with articles like crazy like that, and I like to do that, and I've still got eight minutes. But anyway, uh, so here's the real weird one. Uh, this is December 23rd, 2004, so the technology has even gone uh, even further. Setting, here's the article. Setting the stage for controversial tracking uh, technology, the satellite telecommunications company uh, Orbcom has signed an agreement with Verichip Corporation, maker of the world's first implantable radio frequency identification microchip, and, uh, and, and uh, they've, uh, Verichip is a subsidiary of Applied Digital, which will work with Orbcom to develop and market new military security. Uh, 
security and health care applications in the U.S. and around the world. And, and what Orbcom brings to this whole Verichip technology is, is that they have created and successfully tested a prototype of an implant for humans with GPS global sat positioning satellite technology. Once inserted into a human, it can, this human being can be tracked by GPS technology and the information relayed wirelessly to the internet where the individual's location, movements, and vital signs can be stored in a database for future reference. <laughs> Come on! On, on that thing. And, and so here it is. Not only the Verichip, but you, it's no good unless you've got satellite technology in this day and in this age. The Bible was talking about this 2,000 years ago. And it's happening right before our eyes, the technology for this to occur. And then the, sat, the satellite technology to then be able to track in, in, in that way. And you just see that everything's kind of in place for the ability to, to pull this uh, thing off. Here's a very interesting uh, article about how small the world is, is getting and everything. In, in the year 2006, if you're planning a trip to England, and uh, sometime this year, England has, and England's a good-sized country. If you take that country and superimpose it on the United States, it's a lot, it's, that's a good-sized country. In England, by the end of this year, they will have a camera monitoring every single stretch of road in the country. They will know every single vehicle that is on the road and registering it, tracking it, it from one central location. You get in the car, and it's no longer you just heading down to the market to buy some tomatoes and anonymously doing so. They know everyone who's on the road, where they begin, where they leave, the time, the whole deal. And they're talking about right after that. Right now, they, the camera technology is just such that they can read the license plate number and read the car, but they're trying to upgrade their cameras so they will then be able to identify the individual driver of the vehicle. That's amazing. The ability to track all movement in, in that, that nation. And that, that's the kind of thing that's going on. Even you see it where here's an article where they uh, uh, then, because of the problems that we're having in the United States with terrorism and all of that, uh, they've uh, taken some of the same cameras and now they're monitoring the Santa Monica uh, promenade. You know, it, it, if, you go, if you go to London, England, there are so many cameras set up in London, England, even if you never get in a car or, or walk uh, or uh, get on the street or anything to get on those cameras, your picture will be taken at least seven times during the course of the day. And of course, we've got cameras all over the place because the terrorism thing and all that going on in the United States today. And, 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 and see, the, 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 the deal is, is that as we see this, you know, Vera chip and, and uh, one of the reasons that they do this chipping and, and do the implant, uh, part of it is uh, in order to put a, a medical history of a, of a given person. So let's say you've got a pacemaker. They give this illustration. 
and you're involved in a motor, uh, motor vehicle accident and you're unconscious. All they have to do is bring a scanner over, scan the chip that's, that's on you, and they will know your complete medical condition, and then they can help you. Seems like a good thing, doesn't it? So people are living longer, and there's Alzheimer's, and people wandering around, and they don't know who they are, and yet if they have this chip on them, and they get found, you just read the chip, and you know who they belong to, and where they belong, and, and you take them back to, uh, to where it is that they belong. And then, crazy, because the world is the way that it is, uh, this is even being touted as a way of identifying uh, children, crying, you know, that children are abducted. And then uh, when the bodies are found, you can identify them through the use of, of, of the, the, the chip. We've got the identity theft, which is a big deal. If you, you know, just saw uh, a thing yesterday where they were talking about now getting identity theft insurance. Like we don't have enough insurance to buy, you know. And uh, here's an insurance policy that protects you from identity theft because identity theft has become so prevalent and the credit card fraud and, and economic problems in the world. And, but if everyone has this and a system is devised, then, uh, then it makes it much harder for that to happen. Then you look at the terrorist uh, element where it, if you set this up in, in the uh, terrorism, where people are selling this kind of thing, where someone takes a chip like that, you set sensors up in different places, and you can know everyone who's in your country at a given point in time, who should be here, who shouldn't be here. And because of the terrorist threat all around the world, people are open up to these things. See, all those things are good things. It's not going to get sold as the mark of the beast on the front end. All those things are good things. The problem is, is that one day the Antichrist is going to take that whole system and he's going to use it to control the world. And you are watching unbelievable happen, things happen before your very eyes every single day in this, this time in, in human history. Everything changed with 9-11 in the United States. Apart from 9-11, we would never give up. Our, our freedoms and liberties and our right to privacy like we have. I mean, we like our right to privacy. But because of 9-11, we're, we're turning an, a blind eye to how invasive and intrusive these things are. Why? Because we look and say, law enforcement, government, they need to have this kind of information to protect the population. And all that's fine if the government and law enforcement and the all and the all and the all is worthy of the trust. But one day it, it won't be. And, and it may not be uh, e even now. So he's going to use it all for evil. Wasn't it interesting that um, this uh, woman that was brutally murdered in uh, New York City, she was out clubbing and, and uh, you know, went to one too many clubs or one is too many clubs but she went without a friend to that final club and and four o'clock they're closing the place up and everything and some kind of an argument occurred and and uh, and she ends up murdered and uh, it's interesting how uh, they identified uh, the suspected murder he used his cell phone and when he used his cell phone what he didn't realize is and maybe you don't realize either is when you have your cell phone on not just when you're using it you are being tracked. In the city of New York, where all this happened, they have all these different towers, and they use like a three-tower kind of configuration to locate where this signal is coming from, and it's recorded. 
It's recorded. And they can take by use of those, that technology, and they can identify where you are within 100 feet or 100 yards or so, that you are right on this particular block. If you are using a satellite with your telephone, they can identify to the square foot where you are standing on planet Earth making that phone call. And that's how they got this guy was off of his telephone uh, records. The world is getting very, very small, very easy for it to be controlled like never before. Between the average person's uh, cell phone uh, usage, their credit card usage, their time on the computer and, and all of this, and now in England driving on the road, they can just about put your entire life together. I don't know where we're going to have to find like the cone of silence or some kind of lead shield to go in and pray somewhere and uh, be alone in this world. But isn't, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And you look at all this technology and you think, wow, the whole world's going to turn to Jesus because of, of all of this that's happening, the fulfillment of prophecy, what the Bible spoke of 2,000 years ago happening right before our eyes. How many people are coming to the Lord today because of the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948? I don't know how many are, but that's an astonishing miracle that occurred there. What will happen, and this is why John says, if you have an ear to hear, you need to hear, because we're going to get used to this, and you're going to get used to this. And just being stunned and in awe of the fact that this is what God told us it would be like 2,000 years before it was, we'll lose the awe of it. Until finally, when you talk with your unsaved family members and your unsaved friends and you talk about this whole thing, this thing will be so regular news in the culture, they'll just say, well, the Bible's just talking about, I mean, it's all here. What's, what, what's the shock? We'll just be used to it. And it's scary. Scary what's, what's, what's happening in, in all of it. The whole world is being led as an ox to the slaughter before our very eyes and that's why we need to tell people about the Lord and that's why we need to walk with the Lord and and uh, and warn people about what it is that's coming and I'm glad you're here at the Bible study tonight related to all of these things the mark we're told in verse 17 and I will close very quickly at this point that, that to take the mark uh, in, in the ancient culture was to take to, for a person put their name on another person so it's merely saying that I belong now to the Antichrist. The Bible says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. 144,000 are sealed during the Great Tribulation. This mark of the beast constitutes the Antichrist sealing of his people. Remember, he's, he's a counterfeiter in all of this. The number of, of his uh, name, it's the number of a man. His number of the Antichrist is 666. Um, the Hebrew alphabet, the Greek alphabet, uh, they have numerical value. So there's the belief that if you take the letters of the Antichrist, once he gets revealed, I'm not going to be around, so I'm not worried about it. 
and all uh, that you'd be able to take perhaps the numerical value of his name in Greek or Hebrew and it would equal 666 and uh, that may be so and so people take all kinds of pot shots and they say well it was Ronald Reagan because his three names all have six letters in it and then other people say they thought it was Jimmy Carter but then they realized that he'll be a charismatic leader and uh, so they realized that it, it couldn't, be, uh, couldn't be him. But I mean, they take all these pot shots at, at, at the different things, and there's really no use in being engaged in, in, uh, in, in all of it, just to know that, that uh, that's what's coming our way. Let me close uh, with, with an article. And my wife Karen shared it with you women at the, uh, in, the, in the women's ministry a week or two ago. But I, I want you to get one more final sense of, of what's happening in the world today that, that lines up with all of this. And it's from the Answers in Genesis update, uh, Ken Hammond, the ministry there. He said, if someone had predicted 30 years ago that gay marriage would uh, be legalized in some American states and all across Canada, many in the church would have scoffed at the possibility. I would have 26 years ago. If someone had predicted 60 years ago that prayer, Bible reading, and creation would be thrown out of America's public schools, well, most of the church back then would have thought it to be ridiculous. But they've happened. Now, if what, I, if I, what if I said the following? If America continues on its present course of abandoning the absolute authority of God's Word and teaching generations of students that they are the result of random uh, natural processes, uh, Christians who teach their children to believe that God created in six days will have some of those children taken away and the parents will be arrested for child abuse. Would you scoff? and say, that would never happen here. Would you think that I, I'm overreacting? And then, this is interesting now. If you've zoned out, uh, come back at this point. He said, friend, that day may be closer than you think. In a TV broad, uh, program broadcast recently throughout the United Kingdom, and no doubt uh, soon to be shown on American television as well, the world's leading spokesperson on evolution, atheist uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins of Oxford University, made these uh, remarkable and shocking statements. Here's Dr. Dawkins. I am very concerned about the religious indoctrination of children. I want to show how faith acts like a virus that attacks the young and infects generation after generation. It's time to question the abuse of childhood innocence with superstitious ideas of hellfire and damnation. And I want to show how the scriptural roots of the Judeo-Christian moral edifice are cruel and brutish. That in the 21st century, what in the 21st century are we doing venerating a book referring to the Bible that contains such stuff? After saying that religion was a form of child abuse, Dawkins tirade, uh, and he become, became very angry at times in the program against Christianity, didn't wane. Uh, Dr. Dawkins went on to say this, The God of the Old Testament has got to be the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it, petty, vindictive, unjust, unforgiving, racist, and ethnic cleanser, uh, urging his people on to acts of genocide. When it comes to children, I think of religion as a dangerous virus. It's a virus which is transmitted 
partly through uh, teachers and clergy, but also down the generations from parent to child to grandchild, children are especially vulnerable to uh, infection by the virus of religion. Now, what's fascinating to me about all of this is that after 9-11, and we know, all know that Islam is the religion between 9-11, but nobody uh, has uh, much guts uh, to be clear about those things. And uh, so rather than just come out and condemn Islam, uh, what they then began to do is to talk about religion in general, the three great religions of the world, uh, Islam, Judaism, and, and Christianity, and, and began to speak. They couldn't speak directly to uh, fundamentalists in Islam without also, in order not to hurt their feelings, to also talk about fundamentalism that exists in Christianity and in Judaism. And so they talked about that. Well, you know, the fundamentalists and all all of the three major religious systems of the world, monotheistic religious systems and, and all of this, and they began to treat them as equal, as if uh, we uh, plowed planes into buildings somewhere in the world as Christians. The goofy thing about it is, is that they take and associate all three religions together and make them the same, which is contrary to the evidence, but they then believe their own lie that they are one and the same. And so they lump the whole group together believing their own PC lie and then now they come along and say all fundamentalism is, is a danger based upon the fundamentalism of Islam as if me being a fundamentalist as a Christian makes me anything like an Islamic fundamentalist. And so you see the whole thing that's going on. The danger is not the rejection of God and man doing his own thing the danger is religion that's what we got to get rid of in order for man to take the next quantum leap in his evolutionary progression and you see the whole thing happening every single day before your eyes look up our redemption draweth nigh it's amazing what we're getting to see and what we're getting to study Let's stand together and we'll close up in prayer. Thank you for your patience with me on going a little bit over tonight on this.